Psalm 116, beginning in verse 1. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplications. Because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I shall call upon Him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Oh, Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. This psalm directs its reader to the goodness and the blessings of God. And when you consider the context and the tone of this psalm, we are reminded that the times in life we are most attuned to God's goodness are the times we suffer the most. What if it was an illness or an injury? When you read these words, it becomes abundantly clear how close to death this man seemed. In verse 3, the cords of death encompassed me. In verse 8, you rescued my soul from death. And verse 10, he had lost confidence not only in his life, but he lost confidence in people as well. But the beautiful and, and the powerful feature of this psalm is not what this man felt, but rather what it is the Lord had done. And the Lord had heard his prayers in verses 1 and 2. His cries were not unheard. His prayers were not empty, but God heard every word. The Lord hears the prayers of His people, or maybe for you and I today, to make that a little more personal, God hears me when I pray. Every word, every thought, every emotion, the Lord is listening to His people. And He delivered him from his sickness, which seemed to be the end of the story, was met with the response of the Almighty God, who heals every sickness, who can bind the broken, who can deliver us from our greatest dangers and threats, so that he offered him salvation. And oftentimes, you and I, when we talk about salvation, we talk about sin, deliverance from sin, and rightly so. But here, he simply uses it in terms of God's general deliverance. A God who rescues his people when they need him the most. And why did God deliver this man? Because he was good? And he was righteous? Because he was a man of prayer? No, in verse 5, because the Lord is gracious and righteous and compassionate because our God is full of grace 
and he bestows and gives his amazing and incredible gifts that you and I could never deserve daily. And because our God is righteous and every choice and every decision and every will that he makes is good and just and fair and right. Because God is compassionate and there's no one who loves you and there's no one who loves me far greater than our God who is more invested in our personal best interest. This psalm finds itself in what is called the Egyptian Hallel. It's a grouping of psalms that are attributed to the deliverance of God and his people during the time of the Exodus. In fact, it's suggested historically that the people of God would read and even sing these hymns, these psalms, during the Passover. That takes on a different light, doesn't it? When you think of the words of this psalm and attribute it back to that dark time of God's people in the Exodus. I don't know about you, I I didn't think of Exodus when I read Psalm 116. I just sort of thought of my life. Did you think of yours? Because have there been times in your life when you were so desperate and things seemed so lost and all you could do is cry to the Lord and plead for deliverance and the Lord heard every one of those prayers and saw us through. This psalm is about a God who hears his people and delivers his people. But the psalm is also about the response of God's people to those blessings. That we are a people who recognize the blessings of God and we are a people who respond to the blessings of God. Think about that. Drake led it so well. Think about that in terms of our annual theme this year. O thou fount of every blessing. The people of God who are to recognize the source of our blessings and to respond to those blessings. We recognize where every good thing comes from. O thou fount of every blessing, streams of mercy never ceasing. But we are also a people who know the expectation of what it means to respond to those blessings. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. You ever had to have a piano tuned? ever tuned a guitar, sometimes you loosen those strings a little bit, but oftentimes you've got to get them tighter and tighter, and you get those strings just tight enough so that when they're plucked, they'll hit just their exact note. And there are times that God allows his people to be tightened through the trials and the pressure of life so that when the strings of our heart are plucked, what you will hear is nothing but the praise and honor and glory of the God who gave it. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Those streams of mercy call for songs of loudest praise. That's what this psalm is calling us to. The two reminders that flow from this psalm, one of which is, is the recognition of where our blessings come from. James would say, every good thing bestowed. Hear it again. Every good thing, every perfect gift, every blessing, every good gift, Every good person, every good relationship, every good thing in our life comes from one source and it comes from God. We can name them, we can number them, and what James is saying is if you have something good in your life, know that it came there because God placed it into your life. Keep your marker here and go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. We'll come right back to Psalm 116, but in Deuteronomy, chapter 8, our children are reading about this time. 
in their studies in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, in verse 12, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you might say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand have made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Do you hear what he's saying? Sometimes it takes a journey through the wilderness. Sometimes it takes a walk through the dark valleys to remind us, I did not arrive here by my strength, by my goodness, by my wisdom, by my cleverness, by my ingenuity, by my obedience, by anything that I have or I have done. How did we sing that but just a moment ago? Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see. It's what the Lord has done in me. Psalm 116 and verse 60 says that I was brought low, but it says the Lord. It says I was brought low. He saved me. It was not my doctors, it was not my surgeons, it was not my care physicians, it was not my wisdom, it was not my strength, it was not my will. God is the one who has saved me. And so if I have anything good in this life, it goes in one direction. Every good thing I have is there because God is the one who has, who has made it so. The psalm also reminds us of the blessing or the response to the blessings of God. Immons once wrote, gratitude is a recognition that life owes me nothing and all the good I have is a gift. It is a response to all that has been given. All that I have is because God has given it. There's a unique question Paul asks the, the brethren who lived in the Galatia regions when he asked in Galatians 4 and verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? I love that question. He words it this way in one of the, the paraphrases. He says, where, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? There's an expectation that when you have received something good and have been giving a blessing, that there's a response that is demanded in place. Remember when Jesus healed those ten lepers and one turned back to praise the Lord? His question was, I thought there were ten of you. Where, where, where's the other nine? Where is their praise? Where is their thanksgiving? There's an expectation that when you have received something good, you respond in a way that shows gratitude and thanks. Don't you see that in verse 12 of our context of Psalm 116? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And a lot of how, God, how good God is to me, how possibly could I or should I respond? And he answers it. Brethren, we pray to him continually. Verse 2, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. 
God has heard my prayer, and that does nothing but prompt me to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Every answered prayer that we can see and claim along life's journey ought to be like gasoline to the fire, igniting our continual, devoted, fervent, reverent, passionate daily prayers of thanksgiving to God. We pray and we pray all the more. It ought to motivate our walk before him devotedly. I love the language from verse 8 to verse 9. In the end of verse 8, it says that he kept my feet from stumbling. Verse 9 begins, I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I love that. You kept my feet from stumbling, so what shall I do with those stable feet? I'm going to walk before you and honor you with every step I take. Or in verse 16, how he says, I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds, which is his way of saying, you have set me free. You have liberated me from what was controlling my life. And so I will use this freedom. I will use this liberated life in service to you. When God's people have, re have received blessings, the thankful spirit responds by saying, I will use this good gift to bring you honor and glory and praise. And so I will use whatever time you've given me on earth for you and for your people. I will use the strength you've given me of mind and body to serve and to help another. I will use the wisdom I have gained through this ordeal to teach and to instruct. It was David who said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Liberate me that I may help others to know that same freedom and that same grace. We trust in him completely. In verse 7, he says, return to your rest, O my soul. God has set us free. Don't race back to the questions of the unknown. But what if the doctor got it wrong? What if the test results were wrong, were inconclusive? But what if things get worse? What if there's something more in the future? What if things turn bad? Look at verse of verse 13, I shall lift up the cup of salvation. It's this way of saying, God has offered deliverance. Drink it and drink it freely. Accept and utilize with gratitude the fact that God has delivered me. Don't race to the unknowns. I, I may not know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to face. And it may be a lot worse, but I'll tell you what I know. God was with me here. And God stood with me here. And God delivered me here and if God was with me then I know he will be with me and whatever it is I have to face in any future and any tomorrow David was able to say to King Saul the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine and that was enough for Saul to send him may the Lord be with you God was with me then and I know he'll be with me today and brethren whether you recognize it or not you're here today and that is a victory God has given us another day of life. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't let your heart be filled with the uncertainties of what is to come. Be still your soul. Quiet your spirit. Drink freely of the deliverance God has given to you and trust. If he was with you then, he will be with you every step along the way. And then he worshiped him passionately. His personal devotion in the end of this psalm, his personal commitment to his God lived unashamedly in the public of all people, seemed to be centered around praise. Let me ask you something. For someone who was delivered from death, who was knocking on death's door, how do you think his praise would be the next time he bowed and worshiped to, to the Lord? 
apathetic, dull, lifeless. There's been a lot said publicly, social media, about passion and worship over the past couple weeks. About the raising of hands and demonstration of praise and worship, none of which is new. I remember the days when there were those who were older, older men who would bend on one knee when they prayed. Any of you remember those days? You can't manufacture passion and worship. You can't prescribe it. During the third verse of this song, we're going to stand and close our eyes and lift our hands. And you, Genuine passion and worship has nothing to do with the posture of the body. It has everything to do with the position of the heart. Because I will tell you, there are many, even here today, who don't have the strength in their body they used to have. And they don't have that strong voice they used to have, but I guarantee you their worship is unhindered and full of passion. The greater point is not the demonstration of passion. The greater point, which ought to be convicting, and trust me, it was for me, is this. It should not take life and death moments to awaken us from spiritual slumber, to be devoted to God and passionate in our walk before Him. It shouldn't take tasting death and the seriousness of death for the people of God to recognize just how good He is and just how much He deserves from His people. Can you see that in verse 1? He heard me. He heard me. And in verse 6, He saved me. He saved me. What more could I give in light of all that He has done for me? Now there's one more. One more thing we need to think about because there's a problem in this psalm. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but there's an issue in this psalm. And I never really wrestled it until, until I leaned on this psalm. In verse 15, he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. We know this verse. I've used this verse. I've used it many times to talk about how for the people of God, it is a good thing in the eyes of the Lord when they die. Good because of where they're going and good because of the life that they live. But when you take a step back, that really doesn't fit this psalm, does it? In this whole psalm, death is not a positive thing at all. In fact, death is a terrifying thing. Death is something that this man sought everything to escape. And when God delivered him from death, he rejoiced over the fact that God delivered him from this death. So how are we to see this? How is it that this man is rejoicing that God delivered him from death, but then now all those who are not delivered, it is a precious thing in the eyes of the Lord? The Hebrew word for precious is the word yachar, which means of great value or very costly. In fact, there are some versions like the CSB, which will render this, the death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Some paraphrases will put it this way. His loved ones are very precious to him, and he does not lightly let them die. One author put it in his own words, the death of his faithful servants is an important consideration with the Lord. And that changes everything. When the Lord's people pass from this life, it is not overlooked in the eyes of the Lord. It is no small matter. 
It's not incidental. In fact, to God, it is very costly when one of his people pass from this life. How costly is it to God? Costly enough to give his son. Have you thought about the fact? Our brother Kelly did such a wonderful job walking through that context. And the Gospel of Matthew, it records that when Jesus and his twelve left from the upper room to go on to the garden, they sang a hymn. If historically the people of God during the Passover sang these psalms, have you thought perhaps Jesus sang the words to this very psalm, Psalm 116, about a soul who was delivered from death? Jesus sang these words just before he himself was not delivered from death. Because Jesus went to the cross and he went to death so that he through his death and his burial and his resurrection could overcome the grave and overcome death once and for all. And so Romans 6 and verse 9 says, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Why? Because now he reigns. Because now he is risen and as he is pictured in Revelation 1 and in verse 18, and his hands are the keys of death and Hades. No one is master over the king of kings. And there is coming a day, as Paul promised, that he will deliver, deliver this enemy. He is no friend of ours. Death is of no benefit to the people of God. It is an enemy and Jesus will hand the enemy and deliver him over to God and it will be no more. Which is why there is no one but Jesus who could say to us then, as he says to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. My surgeon's office was in Rockwall, Texas. Very beautiful. It was a big building. And inside of the office was this grand lobby. And in the lobby were these two giant statues. One at each end of this lobby. On one end was the statue of the angel Michael standing on Satan, his sword drawn, the statue of triumph and the victory. On the other end was the statue of an angel carrying a fallen warrior. His sword is broken. He had lost the battle. When we were there, and the surgeon went over the news with me that the mass in my colon was not cancerous. I just walked a lobby. And I walked between the statues. And whatever joy I felt was met with equal amounts of grief. To me, there seemed to be two stories being told by those two statues. The story of victory and the story of defeat. My story and Williams. I just wondered why. Why was that my story? 
I assure you I don't deserve it. Why was it the Lord let me have more time? Why was it he did not receive that same diagnosis? I believe through time and prayer and through reading old text I had sent to William, I now understand. Not the Lord's will or his plan, but I understand the message that's being conveyed in that lobby. They're not two different stories. They're just two parts to the same picture. One of the last things I texted William when he and I were both waiting on results, uncertain if either treatment was working, was this. William, there's a lot I don't know. But there's one thing I do. Both of our stories will end in victory. Our stories will end the same. They will end in victory. Death will not be the end. And Satan will not get the last word. Then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, we will walk through the dark valley one by one. But because of Jesus, verse 9 will be our greatest, fullest reality that we shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living where we will taste death no more. How do we walk this psalm off the page today? Our God is a fount of every blessing, of every good thing you and I know. He's heard our prayers. He has saved our lives. He has rescued us and delivered us. So in every season... And in every storm, and in every diagnosis, and in every trial, Lord, tune my heart to sing your praise. Even here, even now, tune my heart to sing your praise. No life compares to the life that has lived in Jesus you are willing to live in Jesus, if you are willing to die to yourself and to your sin for the sake of King Jesus, there is a promise given by He Himself that we will live for Him forever. The Apostle Paul says that we've been buried with Him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What would you do to live forever, even beyond the grave? Because that is a promise that's found in Jesus. 
If you are willing to confess your faith in him, to turn from your sin and to give him your life, even here today in baptism, you can have that hope of life forever in the Son. If we can help you or encourage you or pray for you, this song is meant for you. Let's do so right now as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.